radio station. Your radio station. Our radio station. 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Born to serve. My eyes see injustice. My hands work for change. My tongue sing the sorrow of my heart. Welcome back to Born to Serve on 91.3 FM, the f- program that focuses on leaders who fulfill the role of serving the community and Ummah, ultimately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One such khalif or leader is Mufti Dr. Abdul Rahman ibn Yusuf, born and raised in London. If this name sounds familiar to some of you, Mufti presented the Science of Qiyamah series that was aired on Voice of the Cape. Muhammad Zain Qasim interviewed Mufti and we continue with that interview. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My name is Muhammad Zain Qasim. The program is Born to Serve. We are honored to have with us uh, Dr. Mufti Abdurrahman ibn Yusuf Mangira uh, who will be doing an interview with us inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh uh, Mufti. Um, Mufti, um, shukran for, for taking out of your time to uh, do this interview with us. Um, to get us started, uh, I've seen that uh, you have done some studies in South Africa. Could you give us a brief uh, biography of yourself, Min Fadli? Okay, inshallah, yes. Yeah. To make it, I guess, relevant to the South African reality, right? Um, so yes, yeah, South Africa, uh, I, I studied there in, I think it was 98, uh, 1998, I studied there in 98. Um, I studied at Rand Afrikaans University and with Professor Abdurrahman Doi, Rahimahullah. And I also did my Mufti course at the same time with Mufti Rada al-Haqsab in uh, Madrasa Zakaria. Sheikh, could you tell us a bit about your childhood and your family upbringing? Um, yeah, that that's. Uh, I think. Uh, I, I mean, I was born in London, and I was, I guess, brought up. Went to the normal schools, uh, but you know, the the good thing here, mashallah, is that we have the madrasa system that follows the schools each day for two hours. No. And the benefit of the situation here was that my my father is an alim as well, though he has been primarily in business while in the UK, but he is an alim, and I guess he. He's always wanted his children to also follow the path of the deen. Um, he had to come to the UK and then start working. So I guess he wanted us to be um, Islamic scholars if we could be. I had an uncle as well, my mom's brother, who was uh, who's a mufti. And uh, my paternal grandfather was a hafiz of the Quran. My maternal grandfather was also a hafiz and a qari of the Quran. So I guess... Um, studying and so on, um, it ran in the family. So although I was going to school and I was studying, uh, you know, at the local, what we call the maktab, the local madrasa, mm. and my my uncle, the mufti, was actually teaching us. So although I was, uh, I was kind of the younger one in the class, but probably because of his attention and so on, I used to be with the older boys, even though I was the younger one in the group, but I was, used to be with the older boys in terms of, you know, the, the level at which we were studying. Um, and then generally throughout, I would be hearing 
uh, these. Uh, I guess what really helps is the fact that your parents, your aunties, etc., um, they keep speaking about high achievement. They keep speaking about uh, other people who have managed to be successful when it comes to uh, studying in the deen and so on. So you'd constantly hear, look, so-and-so's son, he's become a hafiz of the Quran. So-and-so, he's gone to this country to study. You know, he's he's done this, he's done that. So I, I think that, that there was a lot of encouragement there. So I really wanted to go and study myself and become a hafiz of the Quran. So I think it was when I was 11 years old uh, in what we would call the junior school before you go into high school or secondary school yeah. that um, my father got me into one of the seminaries Darlum Berry uh, which is in the north of uh, the UK mm-hmm. and I went there quite happily um, although I would say for at least three to four or five months I was probably very homesick and uh, you know uh, you have this feeling for home. And at that time, Darnum Berry was not what it used to be today in terms of the facilities and so on. So, you know, you're leaving the comfort of your home and so on. I knew this was very difficult for my mother as well. But there was never once I said, I want to go back. It was just deal with it. And I ended up staying there from when I was, I think, 11 and a half, 12 to when I was 22. Uh, and I basically first finished, uh, memorized the Quran, and then after that I did the Alim course. There was one year I took out in between in 1992, where for one year, for my second year of the Alim course, I went to study in India. I don't know, I just decided that I wanted to go somewhere else for a while, so I went to Madrasa Darul Ulum Falahi Darain which is in Turkish for a place in Gujarat. It's a really, really good madrasa. So I studied there for one year. And then I thought about it and I said, look, if I stay here, there's a solid education that you can gain here, but I'm going to probably miss out on, on the language. And my field of da'wah, hopefully, is in an English-speaking world. So I then decided to come back. So I came back and then finished off in 97. And in 97... Uh, when I graduated from Sayyid Bukhari, a South African scholar, Maulana Abdullah Jina, used to be with the Jamiat in uh, Johannesburg. Now he's actually in Medina Munawara. He had come for a conference and he asked me what I was going to do. Somehow I got to meet him. And he said, what am I going to do? So I said, well, I'm going to go to Egypt for two years to get a BA, you know, in Azhar, uh, Azhar University. And then I'm going to go for one year to go and do a Mufti course. So he told me, Forget three years, I can get you all of those things in one year. I said, how are you going to do that? He said, you come to South Africa, we'll get you into Rand Afrikaans University. You'll get an honors degree there with Professor Abdurrahman Doy. And at the same time, you can do your Mufti course in Madrasa Zakaria. And I thought, okay, that's, that sounds good. I'll probably miss out on the experiencing the English, uh, sorry, the Arabic language as I want to do in Egypt. But I could probably go somewhere else. After. So I actually took that opportunity and came to South Africa and I think I've benefited a lot from my year in South Africa and and then after that I felt that I needed still to go and study Arabic uh, and you know get, brush up on that uh, in terms of the language and so on and study some other subjects so I went to Syria for a while and then after that I also felt that I could still study a bit more of the Mufti course and do a bit more specialization so then I went to India to Saharanpur Madahir Ulum for a year after that uh, to study there. And that was when I was 25. So the la- those last three years from 23, 24, 25, I was actually married. 
because I got fixed up in my last year in Darlumberry in England. And then I still had an intention to study three, for three years. There was a number of friends of mine that told me once I got fixed up uh, when I was 22, that forget about studying now. There's no way you can go and study, especially abroad. There's a lot of issues, financial issues and so on, right? But Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped me out. Uh, and I managed to actually go and study in all of these different countries for three years afterwards with my wife and then <laughs> while having my son as well. Uh, and then after I moved to the to the U.S. as an imam for eight years uh, until 2008. Then I came back to the U.K. in 2008. And then I decided to start to do my master's and Ph.D., which I finished about two and a half years ago. Uh, so I finished my Ph.D. in Islamic studies about two and a half years ago. And then I did one year of postgraduate research at the Cambridge Muslim College. Uh, and then now uh, I completed that and just working on some books and some teaching right now. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Um, Mufti, could you tell us about your your upbringing as a teenager? Uh, what type of activities did you enjoy as a as a child and as a teenager? Yeah, I think uh, um, see most of my teenage years they were spent in Darlumberry. So uh, the the students used to play football and everything like that. And I feel bad right now that I wasn't able to play football. I wasn't interested. I was not a very physical kind of person. The only sport that I liked playing at the time, which I played quite well at the time, was uh, um, uh, table tennis, right? But other than that, my time, I used to just spend studying. And I know that's not, that, that's probably very inspirational for some people who are into academics, but probably not very inspirational for other people. But uh, Alhamdulillah, I mean, that's, that's what I used to spend my time doing. I, I, I just had this concept in mind, probably when you get much older, Obviously, when you're young, there's mountain climbing that we had there because our madrasa in Barry was next to a tall mountain. Uh, you know, there, there was there was a lot of that kind of stuff that we would do. But I loved reading. I would I would literally go to the library from the madrasa. Our madrasa was mashallah very open, so I would go to the library once a week, and I think we could take 13 books as a teenager. We could take 13 books, so I would take 13 novels and I would bring them back and finish them off within the week. Right, this is within my hips class study and everything like that. And I do feel I may have wasted some time. I should have probably read more, uh, more books or uh, you know more Islamic books or whatever. But this was just at least one way of spending your time. So I read huge number of books at that time. Uh, I would just devour them, you know, at the time. Okay, um, Mufti, uh, we'll just go for a short break. Okay, that is uh, Mufti uh, Abdurrahman ibn Yusuf Mangera, and we will return shortly for the continuation of the interview. That was Mufti Dr. Abdurrahman ibn Yusuf, interviewed by Muhammad Zaid Qasim, and we continue with that interview after. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, 91.3 FM and 95.8 FM stereo. Born to serve. My eyes see injustice.
Welcome back to Born to Serve on Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM. Before the break, we listened to part one of our Khalifa Profile of the Week with Mufti Dr. Abdul Rahman ibn Yusuf, who was interviewed by Muhammad Zaid Qasim. We continue with that interview. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Voice of the Cape on 91.3 FM. This is a continuation of the interview with Mufti Abdul Rahman ibn Yusuf Mangira of the UK. Mufti, could you? Describe yourself in three words. Uh, which words would you choose? Yeah, that's a tough one. I don't think too much about myself. That's a tough one. I know, uh, yeah, Allah. That's that's a tough one. I think um, I, I would probably say somebody that's just constantly trying to make um, sense of what's going on around them. Um, I think that's probably the, the the best that I can do today. Okay, no problem, Mufti. Um, Mufti, you mentioned uh, that you studied in uh, in the UK, in South Africa, in India, and Syria as well, and you were willing to even study as uh, far as Egypt. Could you tell us what kind of uh, what motivation did you have? I know you mentioned uh, your family members that were all, uh, alhamdulillah, learned people in the in the Dean. So, uh, what other inspirations did you have? I think I think w- once you get serious about any kind of study, then you want to try to achieve more and more of that particular study. And for any good scholar, if you look at the history of our scholars, they always traveled. I mean, when you hear about people like Imam Bukhari having, you know, this many thousand teachers, Imam Abu Hanifa having this many thousand teachers, Imam Shafi'i, rahimahullah, moving from, uh, you know, the Hejaz to Egypt, and, and so on and so forth. Knowledge is something that you... You, you'd have to go far for and there's an absolute reality to that to be honest i actually have a list of books you know i'm 40 years old now and uh, you know i've got my phd etc but i have a list of subjects and books that i have written down which if i get a chance if i get a chance i'm willing to go out to study them like I, i've got a kind of a plan in mind if everything goes right i'd still like to go and carry on and study it, study is something which as imam uh, shafi'i says that if the wealthy people and the kings and rulers knew what we get out of learning something new, resolving a fiqhi issue or something like that, and that they, they would give up their positions. And he says that this is actually more pleasurable than sleeping with a young virgin girl. I mean, kind of a crude example, but that's what he says. And I think once you get into this study, it's just it's difficult to explain i think you just want to go and study so for example you would want to study in different countries because they are providing something that is not found in other places i don't think there's any place in the world that provides everything because that's just not the way things work in this world and never in history yes there's some places which have specializations in some way or the other so i think the motivation is just that to go and try to benefit as much as people and once you've got this motivation to to travel it's a very difficult thing to suppress. Okay, Mufti, um, shukran for that. Uh, how important uh, would you say it is It is to be a inspiring leader, especially a Muslim leader? I mean, for that you'd have to ask the Muslim leaders, uh, but my perspective on observing others, because I don't consider myself, uh, you know, I, I hope that uh, we can be as the dua of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is that Allahumma hadina wa hadibina wa ja'alna hudatan liman hitada 
which should be a frequent dua that we should all make is, oh Allah, guide us, guide through us and make us leaders of those who are guided. Uh, and the only motivation behind that, the only objective behind that is that let's do something for the people and for ourselves before we go. The Prophet ﷺ said that anybody that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to, uh, who, who, uh, who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes well for, he will take him in his service. He will use him. In another version of that narration in Arabic, it says, Asalahu. Uh, Asal comes from the word honey. And I personally would kind of crudely translate it as he would sweeten the deal for him. And the Sahaba, they asked, Ma Asalahu, Ya Rasulullah. What does that mean, Ya Rasulullah? And he said, he replied that he will use him for something by which his surrounding people will be satisfied with him. What I take from that, when I read the likes of Ghazali and uh, Jilani and uh, Ibn Abdul Barmariki and all of these other great scholars that we've had in the past, how today, after several hundred years, after a century, uh, you know, after uh, uh, you know, after a millennium, we can remember them and say, Rahimahullah. To be honest, that's that inspiration. That that is that is what really inspires me a lot. So that we should all do that and today the muslim ummah needs muslim leaders that's why we ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to to assist us in creating those kind of muslim leaders because the muslim world today is burning unfortunately in many places around the world you know we're going through some some serious 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 problems and i think we need leadership so we pray to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he assist us all in getting those kind of leaders uh, that's that's very important for us I mean, now, uh, Mufti, you just mentioned uh, the things that are happening in the Muslim world. How uh, do we make sense of what is currently happening? Uh, I mean, there is a lot of pain and suffering, some perpetrated against the Muslims, others by Muslims against Muslims. So uh, is it enough to say that the negative media attention on the Muslims and we should just ignore that? Now, there's a reality to all of these situations, unfortunately, and... You know, it's easy to say that these are all conspiracy theories, and it's also very easy to say that this is just negative media uh, coverage. There may be aspects of that, but really the blame lies with the Muslims ourselves. And I think what it is is that we're living in a uh, we're, we're living uh, we're, we're living in a situation which is really um, where we're not facing up to reality, and we're not thinking about how best to deal with this situation. So what we have is Muslims have had a great history, right? We've had centuries of, you know, um, elevation in the world. We've had centuries of the upper hand. We've had yeah. some great scholars. We've got a wonderful history and our history is still alive in the sense that we speak about it every day. We speak about our great scholars. Our history, our sira is very much living. So I don't think there's any other tradition in the world that has that same thing. We have such a history that I could come to South Africa, speak to somebody of a total different ethnicity, and as soon as they say, Assalamu Alaikum, and we speak as a Muslim Ummah, right, there's a certain, the heart suddenly opens up, regardless of the situation. And I don't think that kind of experience is anybody else can have, except a Muslim, wherever they may be. But having said that, when, you, when we're faced with 
all of the problems and the burning today and we contrast that with this great history. We just don't know what to do about it. So what's happening in many countries is that they think they can get this back. They're using jihad as though that is the only way to come out of this situation. So rather than have a dialogue, rather than trying to negotiate, rather than self-betterment, rather than they're using one of these quick fix tactics. Now, jihad is completely, you know, it's, a, it's an important aspect of Islam. But what we're seeing today is a kind of an abuse of the topic because in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this in the Quran saying that the, 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 the Sahaba, etc., the way they were, were ashidda'u They were severe against their enemies, but they were merciful among themselves, among their own kind. And today we see that things are so misplaced that the severity is against both sides. The severity is also against our very own. And th- this is never going to be successful if, if, if that's the way we do things. So I think we have to start to learn to speak again, to plan and to strategize and to really see what kind of friendship we need to have and what kind of friendship is harmful and how to do things without having to descend into more chaos. Um, shukran for that, Mufti. Mufti, just to uh, continue with that question, uh, is there any uh, special focus on marriage or divorce in your work? Uh, yeah, that's something, I mean, I would probably say that uh, out of the 30 to 40 questions you get a week, many of them are related to marriage and divorce. Uh, so um, some time ago, we actually did an entire workshop on the subject. And um, I'm actually, my intention soon is, inshallah, to actually compile a book on the topic that's uh, less theoretical, more practical in the sense that it's dealing with uh, guidance to marriage based on practical scenarios that I've dealt with in the past. It's horrifying the kind of divorce rates that are coming about and the kind of uh, silly reasons for the divorces that are taking place. So that's definitely something that uh, it's important for every scholar to deal with because it's such a reality around us. It's a, it's a big reality. So yeah, absolutely, that has to be part of our work. Okay, Mufti, um, shukran for that. Uh, I'd just like to know, uh, what does uh, Mufti like to focus on when addressing uh, communities and uh, what approach uh, is preferred? I think my main focus is that I think people, everything else that we discuss about political activism, all of that is important and that needs to be addressed as well. Uh, but I think my main focus generally tends to be just a return to basic piety, a return to making the religion a reality for us rather than just something customary or just something as a ritual. Because when it comes to that, the example that I generally give is that when it comes to anything else in the world, we try always to get better. That's the nature of the world. We become much more discriminating in where we have to eat and where we don't eat, what food is good, what is not good. Even when it comes to buying your suit, you'll start off with a basic suit, then you'll want your nice Canali uh, Giorgio Armani suit, uh, hand-stitched and so on and so forth. So with everything when it comes to the world, we only get better, right? We don't stay on 1.0, you know, we're on version 10.0. But when it comes to our deen, we're still on beta. You know, when it comes to Ramadan is coming up, what we'll do is we'll take the same package of Ramadan deal that we have, that we've been doing for the last 10, 15 years, the no frills shop brand, you know, and we won't become discriminating in how our fast needs to be, how our prayers need to be. And I think 
if we don't do that and we don't become more discriminating with our faith as to which paradise we want to get to, most of us just want to get into paradise. We've never thought about the hundred degrees of paradise and how we're, we're supposed to do some extra work to get to the higher realms. We just want to get to paradise. It's like people saying, I want to get to South Africa. I want to get to England. I want to get to America. I don't care where I get to. I could be in the slums, but I just want to get to that country, you know, people from third world countries or whatever. And I think this is our approach to our deen. And I think until we don't make the deen a reality in our life where we have the personal connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where we can spend few minutes a day actually talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I think that is very important as the basis through which we do everything. Uh, shukran for that, Mufti. Any future plans for you, Mufti? I know you mentioned pursuing some of the studies that uh, you would like to pursue, but any future plans on your side or for the British community in general? Oh, there's so many plans we have, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us with whatever whatever we can do. I mean, you should always have many, many plans so that if one doesn't pass, at least another one will. You, this is... You, this is what you learn from the scholars of the past, like Ibn al-Jawzi, etc. So, many, many plans. And um, specifically, I would say, um, I, I'm personally just focused on right now, I, te- I teach a bit of hadith, and at the same time, working on publications. So I've got a number of publications that have been on the back burner for quite a few years, uh, while I was finishing the PhD, etc. So inshallah, we want to get those done as much as possible, and then We'll see what we can do, inshallah, beyond that. So that and just some traveling, inshallah. Inshallah. Inshallah, uh, Mufti, we're coming towards the end of the interview. Just some last uh, words of advice on how we can change our lives for the bit, inshallah. I think uh, we're, I, I'm probably more in need of advice than anybody else. I think the main thing is, as I said earlier, to keep Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first and foremost. The mashaykh that I follow, this is what they say generally. It's very difficult to tell people today, and neither is it the Islamic way generally, um, to say that, okay, leave everything that you're doing and just go and sit at home and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're, a, you know, we're human beings, we're social creatures, that's what we're, you know, we, we have to interact. And the perfection is that we're able to interact with people, but at the same time keep connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the way of the mashaykh that I follow, generally that's what they say. They say is that, um, your hand is uh, on the work that you're doing. So physically you are engaged in the work that you're doing, your everyday work as long as it's halal, but your heart is connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So regardless of what you're doing, you have this consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all the time. You're thanking Him, you're being patient, you're remembering Him. Your heart is filled with the dhikr of Allah, but you know you're doing your work, whatever that work may be in this world. This is, if somebody can achieve this, that that is one of the greatest things that that you can do um another one of our projects that i forgot to mention was we're working on uh, to educate people around the world essentially you know while just sitting in one place or the other because the internet has allowed us to do that so one is zamzamacademy.com uh, which uh, you probably aware of but no. that's where many of our lectures and classes and so on are put on for for free for anybody to listen to that zamzamacademy.com and the other initiative we have is rayaninstitute.com that provides free classes uh, by scholars uh, around the world so um, those are the two projects that we're we're trying to work on along with white thread press and the publications uh, that i'm doing 
Um, shukran for that, Mufti. And shukran for allowing us some of your time to do this interview. Uh, we wish you all of the best as well as all of the best uh, for the British community, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. That was Mufti Dr. Abdurrahman ibn Yusuf interviewed by Muhammad Zaid Qasim. We hope that Mufti will grace us with his presence in South Africa soon. Thank you for joining me, Muhammad Sheikh, on Born to Serve on your favorite radio station, Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. We hope that you have thoroughly enjoyed Born to Serve and we hope, inshallah, to podcast the session on our website. Any comments may be directed to zulfab at vocfm.co.za. Until the next time, from myself, Muhammad Sheikh, keep well, keep steadfast on Deen, and keep us all in your du'as. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.